That Triathlon Show, episode 72. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Tim Cusick, who is a product lead of WKO4, which is a powerful, powerful software analytics platform that can really give you some tremendous insights into your physiology, like not just going way beyond what is your your FTP, but actually giving you a complete picture of your VO2 max, your functional reserve capacity, your max power, your your threshold power, and all sorts of other things like your stamina. How long can you hold a certain power after you have exerted yourself for a certain amount? Your time to exhaustion at your functional threshold power, because it's not one hour for every single person, but it varies. And uh, yours may be as slow as uh, 30 minutes, or it can be 70 minutes. So there are all sorts of things that you can do with WKO4, whether you use it for cycling or for running, if you have a running power meter. We talk about that as well in the interview. But if you have any sort of power meter, then you need to listen to this interview because there are so many things that WKO can potentially do for your training if you you are interested in, in learning more about advanced uh, physiology and and how not just how learn more about it but actually how you can then uh, tailor your training based on that information that you gain so let's just dive right in to the interview with tim cusick today's interviewee on that triathlon show is tim cusick who is a program manager and co-developer of wko4 which is uh, a powerful analytics software developed by Training Peaks. Tim, welcome to that triathlon show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, WKO4, many of our listeners will be familiar with it at least uh, on a like ten thousand feet overview level. What it can do, but I don't think actually many have used it themselves because it's something that typically coaches use and not necessarily the athletes. Many athletes have Training Peaks. But so, can you give a description of what WKO4 is? Well, um, WKO, the WKO brand has been around for a while. WKO has been really the leading analysis software for Training Peaks Online. So, it's a partner or a sister program where Training Peaks is really our calendar and planning system. And then WKO handles the analysis and the analytics. Uh, WKO4 is a newer product to the marketplace and a, a pretty radical upgrade to the WKO product. Um, WKO4 is an analytics engine, which is really a shift in the way we look at analysis. Um, what it is, it's a tool. It's kind of funny. One of the simplest ways to think about it is, whereas in, you know, we have so much data in the world of, of endurance sports now, we wanted to take a tool that allowed that data to become actionable in the sense where we can collect all these different pieces of information, what's coming in, what's happening, what's occurring, and then find a way to turn that into actionable data. So the tool is actually supplying actionable data. And what it's doing is giving insights into improving your training, you know, methodology, 
Technically, I would say it really is a way of monitoring response to exercise stimuli, which in a coach or a self-coach scenario is gives deeper insight into the dose response mechanism of training. And, you know, really that, <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? It's very neutral in that approach. We're not, you know, the idea is you do some training, you do some work, you do some exercise and you get a response. Really, this tool is for you to analyze what you're doing, be able to measure its effectiveness and then approve upon that. Yeah, that's a very good overview. And we'll dive, definitely dive deeper into those action steps that uh, that the users, the listeners, if they start using the program, can can take and, and how specifically they can they can improve their training to get better training adaptations and become faster. Uh, but first, one thing that when I first heard about WKO and uh, maybe read my first article or saw the f- first YouTube video about it, I thought that, wow, this looks very, very powerful, but uh, it goes into such minute detail. It looks like it's something that's more for maybe road cyclists or even uh, e- even uh, criterium riders or those kinds of uh, of athletes that really where there is a very big demand also on the anaerobic system and not so much steady state plodding along as triathlon is. Of course, now I've since I've been using WKO, I've been proven wrong many, many times. It's definitely for triathletes, but can you... Talk about that a little bit, because I'm sure that's a question that you might get get asked as well in your role. How is WKO applicable for, for triathletes? Now, it's a great question. When we originally designed WKO 4, the data source really uh, was driven by the cycling community. So if you think about power training as a whole and heart rate training, a lot of that initiated in cycling. Um, what you've seen in the triathlon market and probably more so in the last like four or five years, you've seen data really deeply entrench itself, entrench itself in triathlon cycling. We've seen an expansion in, um, you've always had power training and, and heart rate data at, at a high level for cycling. We now have seen that for running and swimming. And, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years, the introduction of running power meters. And we've now are seeing more and more the introduction of swimming power meters, something you're really going to see in the next year or two. And I have to put that on the table first to backtrack to your question. So we had anticipated that. So when we launched WKO4, the data, you know, for cyclists was more readily available to be able to maximize the program and, and get to those actionable items that you wanted to see. Um, the triathlon market has quickly caught up there. So now it's really coming to bear. Our fastest growing market of WKO4 users are runners and triathletes, not cyclists. Because as the data and the robustness of the data available for multi-sports is uh, really trickling into the marketplace, the need for those analytics are there. But you said something really important, right? We think in the sense of thinking about triathlon or multi-sport as a whole as approach that we tend to be very agnostic in data and we're very specific. We're linear is the term I would typically use. You need kind of one group of data. It's about a, a steady state or an aerobic performance. Well, what WKL4 has really taught first the running community and now is really teaching the triathlon community that understanding the physiology going on underneath that is crucial to improving the effectiveness of your training. So if you think about all training, and you got to kind of give this piece of background, right? Think about training this way. It's a three-step process. And when you think about it, it's a stress. So a stress is an external measurement. 
So you apply stress, a power number, how many watts am I riding my bike or how many watts am I running at is a stress. Pace is a stress, right? Um, Grade can be part of that stress. So stress is the external measurement. Strain is what your body is going uh, through, going under when it's under stress, right? So you apply an external measurement, you pedal your bike at a certain amount of watts, you run at a certain pace, you're creating strain. Then strain is what really drives adaptation. And that's the final step. So you apply stress, your body goes under strain, hopefully you rest some in there in the appropriate terms, and you adapt and you get faster. Well, the classic model, I've seen this for years as a a professional coach, um, people really thought that this steady state performance of multi-sport was really just about um, the linear approach. If I need steady state, all I do is train steady state. And my physiology, my stress strain adaptation relationship will be very linear. I apply the same stress, I go into the same strain, I get the same adaptation. WK4 gives us a physiological look. It gives us, through the use of a, a powerful modeling system, gives us insight into the physiological adaptations that are happening underneath there, which is improving the coach or the self-coach athletes in, you know, understanding of that stress strain, which you typically call dose as a, as a group, and then therefore also better understanding the response, which allows us to improve training. You know, and I'll close on this for you. When you think about triathlon, you're, as a triathlon athlete, you're the most time challenged. You've got multiple sports to prepare for. You need to uh, uh, put in the appropriate time and energy you need to each one. And you consume a tremendous amount of time of your, your weekly schedule, right? All great training is the highest effect for the least amount of fatigue. And what WKL4 does and the powerful ability to look at the, you know, the underlying physiology is it makes you more effective. It allows you to target your training in all disciplines of the sport for a higher effect in potentially less time, but more specifically, less fatigue, which allows for A, more quality training, B, more rest, and then hopefully better adaptation. So that underlying physiology is so important in the measurement for multi-sport performance. And that's a great segue into, like, let's talk about, let's talk through an example of a self-coach athlete, triathlete listening to this show that wants to go out and start using WKO for maybe they have been dabbling it a little bit, but you mentioned there that you, to get the most out of your training, you, you have that, you, you look into what, what it tells you about your physiology and, and then you try to make the prescription such that you get the best bang for buck w- using WKO for, to do that. So, so what are the top ways to do that? How do you look at your physiology and how do you then use that to drive your training decisions? So a little bit of uh, a background within WKO4, it's an analytic engine. So if you think about the difference between analysis and analytics, right, you've always had analysis, training peaks, and, and a lot of programs have analysis. And what analysis is, is a basic look, you look at the data, and you're looking for meaningful patterns. So if you were to look at your last year's training history, right, you could look at a whole bunch of data, and you'd say, wow, I have a lot of data. And when you're looking at it, your mind and you typically as a, a coach or a self-coach athlete, you're doing analysis. You're trying to find certain patterns in that data that mean something to you. When you start talking about analytics, right, you kind of go to the next step. 
And that's where the you're not just trying to look at a bunch of data and find some patterns. You actually are using analytics to specifically look at the pattern, meaning instead of just finding it and trying to attach this idea of, wow, I've seen this pattern, the analytics says very specifically, you did this and you got that not to use bad English, but, and the reality is that's really important. It seems so simple, right? When you say an analytics engine, well, what drives an analytics engine is you need three abilities. One, you have to have modeling. So WKO4 uses a very powerful uh, human performance model known as the power duration curve that was designed by Dr. Andrew Coggin, myself, Hunter Allen and Kevin Williams, obviously. And, and, and before going any further, can we talk about what the power duration curve is, what it looks like for people that might not understand it? Like just very shortly, what is it? What do you see if you see the power duration curve? Yeah, it's a great question. So it, it literally is a curve and it's a mean maximal performance curve. It could be power, it could be pace, it can be other things. It tends to be power because that's the cleanest data. And basically what it is, is a second by second model that shows your degradation of power, pace, or speed. So if you looked at one second, you're looking at a very maximal number. But the reality is you can't sustain that as an athlete and you curve, you drop off. And that drop off looks like a curve. It's sigmoidal in shape, which kind of looks like sort of like an S if you turned it on its side. Um, and the reason, you know, there's a reason why it ends up being sigmoidal, but that's another question. But that it basically tails out from a very high ratio in short seconds. So high power, high pace. You could sprint for a couple of seconds much faster than you can run for 20 minutes. And then it slowly drops off or maybe quickly drops off, right? It depends. It's unique to you. And it drops off all the way out to, you know, minutes, hours, potentially even days, um, you know, in that curve. And what it really is measuring, if you reverse the thinking and sometimes easier to understand, it's the maximum amount of power you could put out over time. So how much power can you do at one second, two second, three second, you know, at one minute, five minute. And if you think about it, it makes a very nice curve. When you say power duration curve, you're looking at it in the sense of power created. But what you're really measuring is how you fatigue. I mean, they're obviously clearly related. And that drop off is your fatigue rate under maximal power or maximum speed or whatever you're putting out. Yeah, and we'll we'll have a picture of that and some other things that we mentioned we'll we'll have in the show notes for the listeners so that they can go ahead and have a look at that. Uh, so yeah, sorry when I interrupted you, you were talking about how that power duration model is at the core of the the engine that uh, that WK runs on. Correct, and what the, what having an accurate second by second model like that allows you to do is build physiological models. Meaning when when Dr. Coggin did a lot of work on the model. We spent a lot of time making sure we connect it to the way your body makes energy and some other factors. But if you think about training, you're really talking about that. So we have, uh, we can use the power duration model to take a very broad, what we call a 360 degree view of your uh, performance capabilities. So we can look at Pmax, which is a, a type of maximal power that you put out. We can look at your functional reserve capacity, which is your anaerobic work capacity. We call it functional because it's model derived. We can look at your uh, functional threshold power or overarching threshold. We can look at your time to exhaustion. 
We can look at your stamina. We can model things within this model like your VO2 max and create, you know, this ability to look at you as a whole athlete. So if you think about a lot of triathlon, uh, multi-sport folks, you're doing a lot of work off of one metric, one physiological metric. You tend to base it on threshold a lot. And a lot of your training is a, a percentage of threshold or a training zone based off threshold, where by using a power duration curve, you're not linked to just seeing that one and that one target moving. You're actually able to tr- attract different types of physiology, maximal power, anaerobic capability, aerobic capability, stamina. I think I forgot to say stamina. We can measure stamina, stamina, which is your degradation over time. We can measure your time to exhaustion. So we can look at a lot of different factors that allow you to build your, uh, your training around. So that's one element that it's important that we have a model in there that gives us those physiological insights and it scores them. So you can see when they improve or decline. Once you understand that, then you can, you know, I said, you, you know, analysis, right? You look back over a year and you can, when you're just doing analysis, you're looking for the pattern. When you have analytics, just load your data and look back at history and you get immediate insights into that dose response because you can see these individual metrics moving because they don't, you know, exercise is a complex phenomenon and your physiological response to such is as complex as the exercise itself. So as you're doing work and exercise, introducing exercise stimuli, you're getting different responses. Your physiology changes. You don't just get more fit. The type of fitness you have changes. And that's half of what it's doing. The other half then is, can you connect that to desired performance? So obviously, when you're talking about multi-sport, you're talking about, you know, different sports, multiple legs, and each one has a goal that you're trying to accomplish to create something bigger. So by understanding this analytics, by going backwards and looking at it, you can not only see, wow, what physiological changes occurred when I introduced a certain exercise stimuli, a certain dose, but then you can also say, wow, and how did that specifically relate to performance? This is a leap and you got to try it, right? But once you do those two, if you think about what you're really getting is you're getting predictive analytics. Once you stand, understand the analytics, the history of your performance from a physiological and a performance metric, how those two work together, you can then replicate or improve on the good stuff, right? And then and or and hopefully drop out the bad stuff. The things that work, you learn to do better because you can measure they they work. Numbers went up, the right places improved. That improvement in physiology that you were targeting resulted in perform, you know, performance improvement. Sometimes you could add a whole lot of exercise stimuli and improve, you know, it doesn't go up. The physiology stays the same or even more confusing, the physiology might improve a little bit, but the performance goes down. Once you begin to track that, you can make significant edits and changes to your training regime to dramatically improve how effective it is, um, time necessary to achieve certain goals, uh, and then obviously relate that to improved performance. As you mentioned, it's uh, obviously an individual thing, but do you have any guidelines or good uh, places to start for triathletes? What are the key things that they could look at within within the the model and their physiology to 
relate to reverse engineer performance essentially so have you seen with triathletes what are the key things for them to to monitor and to get to a higher level no i think that's a great question so within the the power duration model within the physiological metrics that we're tracking we probably have three slash four that are very important to the triathlon or to the triathlete uh one we have functional thresholds power and that really is your aerobic endurance, the maximum amount of steady state effort that you could withhold. And it directly relates to your maximum lactate steady state. We also have time to exhaustion, which is how long you can sustain that maximum lactate steady state before you begin to degrade off that platform. And then we also have stamina, which is the ability, and stamina is probably the most important starting point because stamina is your long-term steady state. So it's a degradation of performance. You could call it power or pace again after one hour. And the stamina measurement is basically based off of um, what you can hold for an hour. And then what's it's in its simplest terms, it's a percentage of drop-off. So as a, a, a triathlete or a multi-sport athlete, particularly doing longer distance events like an Ironman, it really is important that you understand stamina. Of course, we have muscular endurance that we talk about a lot and energy management and all of these different things. Stamina rolls that all together in sort of a, a muscular metabolic summary and gives you a measurement of how well you can sustain after an hour and then, of course, as over time. So depending on if you're iron, you know, doing a full Ironman or a sprint or something like that. So I always start with stamina. But this is the power, right? Once you understand stamina and you have it and you can see how training affects your stamina, then you want to see the interaction between the other physiological metrics, such as, you know, functional threshold power, like I said, such as time to exhaustion. So what we've seen a lot and, and to be highly prevalent is that there is a highly coordinated uh, performance result between increases in functional threshold power and stamina performance. So it's like traditionally we tend to think about stamina, we tend to think about sustaining, right? So a lot of the training is sustain a pace, sustain a pace, sustain a pace. And what the new ability to use these models and look at data and, and performance historically we're seeing that there's a higher correlation between improvement in uh, functional threshold power and then stamina as a improving metric. I've seen and I believe that this has led to some continued improving training mechanisms where there's a little more focus, a little more introduction, even at the Ironman length, of more and more work specifically related to improving functional threshold power or maximum lactate steady state or threshold. And I think that's been a significant effect. When you start talking about sprint and try, I would pay even more attention in that mix to your VO2 max also. So VO2 max is your maximum aerobic power. It is the limiter, right? It's your ultimate ceiling. It's how much oxygen you can utilize in intake and uptake, how much you can breathe in and get in the system and how much the system can use. So as you train, VO2 max will change. And the reality is if you can improve VO2 max, you're actually raising the ceiling, as I like to say a little bit, and you're leaving more room for threshold growth underneath. We're actually finding that for shorter um, you know, sprints and stuff like that, that that higher VO2 max is allowing people to operate at a higher percentage of 
FTP or threshold throughout the event and leading to some improved performance. Therefore, again, it's, I see it tweaking some individuals training to give a little bit more focus towards maybe raising that VO2 max as part of the overall relationship with threshold and stamina. So we're seeing a little bit of evolution of more fine tuning between the longer distance events and the mid and shorter distance events. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And uh, incidentally, actually, the last episode on on the podcast is about uh, what the different thresholds are. What what is an aerobic threshold and an aerobic threshold? And one of the things that I mentioned that you also mentioned that basing everything on just FTP or the anaerobic threshold is is very limited. But here, what you have in WKO, for example, you can see where your anaerobic threshold is as a percentage of your VO two max. So that already tells you a lot more about your physiology from that perspective and and that's one of the things that that i think immediately stood out to me and uh, and a couple of other things that uh, that you mentioned the time to exhaustion is is there room for using that for triathletes or or is that uh, more of a fun fact you know time to exhaustion is highly sensitive for triathletes so when you say data is sensitive and I, yeah i gotta be a little bit of a data geek here it it basically means small data inputs can have larger changes. If you think about a power duration curve and it's tailing out in the end and getting very flat, right? Once you, you get after a certain amount of time, you're, you know, the power curve itself is just flat by nature. So if you have a small change, you know, if you drop, if you have a, a five watt improvement in threshold, it could really, you know, uh, change your, your time to exhaustion by 10 minutes or so. But that's very, it, a lot of people will say, well, wow, that, that seems too sensitive. Not really, right? So most people train with power are quick to tell you that 10 watts can be all the difference in the world between, you know, and for a triathlete world, being, between not being able to run and being able to run successfully, right? In a, in a cyclist world, that 10 watts can be all the difference in the world between sustaining a great time trial and uh, blowing up two-thirds in. So that is a true sensitivity in that sense. Basically, for me, I use time to exhaustion as part of my phases of training. Uh, I'm not a big, big user of linear periodization, even though a lot of times it's an easy way to discuss things. And it is, you know, a good underlying model for training. In certain phases of training, I might be not time to exhaustion sensitive, where I'm really working on the development of threshold and stamina. Um, Depending on the event that you're in, if you're doing, you know, shorter tries, sprints, and things like that, as I get closer to the event and the specificity is being able to get and squeeze some higher performance in each leg, I become very TTE sensitive to that performance because the reality is I'm trying to find exactly where that person transitions. At what point are they going to begin to degrade? In cycling, I can give you a great example because it's just easy and I get this question all the time. One of the athletes I coach is Amber Nieben. Amber is a is a professional woman cyclist. She's a multi-time world champion, time trialist. Um, I did a big presentation last year. She won the world championships in the time trial. Uh, we presented our data to a, a couple of different groups with the you know, USAC. And the reality is people said, well, wow, look how short her TTE is. It's only 32 minutes, you know, and most people think time trial and her TTE should be like an hour, right? She should be able to sustain a high plateau for an hour. But we forget to think about the specific demand of the event. And that's what's so important when you start thinking about metrics as a whole. And then in specifically in this conversation, TTE, or in this question, time to exhaustion, 
most women time trial events don't go really past like 30 to 38 minutes. Most of them are in there. So I, you know, Amber and I don't necessarily track her threshold very heavily. We're really using um, that as part of a metric mix, but we look very closely at time to exhaustion. We're trying to squeeze out every bit of watt and performance we can for the time of the event. So then you trade that back to triathlon, shorter events. I don't mind it being shorter. As a matter of fact, I want it. I'll trade off a little power for a shorter sustain because in my opinion, it leads to some better results in the sprint level. Where you go to an Ironman or a long level, I go the other way. I get pretty sensitive, particularly as you get closer and closer to the event of making sure I'm pushing time to exhaustion out further and further without impacting stamina. And that's the trick. You got to manage them all together. You have to understand different physiology all when you train and, you know, it's always cost benefit. You focus on something, something else slips away a little bit, right? So you want to measure that all at once. Yeah. And, and understanding that cost benefit, uh, I, you have a lot of good instructional videos on the WKO4 Help Center site that we can link to in the show notes. So they're not just about using the software, but actually you have recorded a lot of them and I've been watching several of them as we talked about before the interview a bit. And and they're really good and go into not just using the software, but actually using it for coaching. And if you're self-coached, obviously for using it yourself to, to improve your performance Let's just talk a little bit about using WKO for uh, running with power because that's, uh, as you said, a new thing. And it's uh, interesting to hear that the runners are the fastest growing segment now, uh, potentially for WKO users. So uh, so what can we expect from that if we are running with power and, and want to start to use WKO for analyzing that and using it in our training? So we had the luxury, um, you know, one of the first devices out there was the Stride device. Dr. Andy Coggin, again, partnered with Stride and with WK4. When Stride was launching and power meters, you know, running power meters were were coming to the bear, we were analyzing data in WK4. We've helped design some unique metrics. Um, what you can, <laughs> so you have to go back another step, sorry for all the long answers, but So let's say you have running with power and cycling with power. There's one major difference that everyone needs to understand. If you don't understand this, you really are going to train. You're going to not get the running right when it comes to power. A human being is a very inefficient animal, right? We're probably the least efficient animal out there. You put us on a bike and we become the most efficient animal out there. A bicycle gives us a lot of artificial intelligence or an artificial uh, efficiency. And when you think about efficiency in that way, it means, you you know, you suddenly you have your feet are locked, your butt is locked, your hands are locked, you're pedaling in a very linear direction, everything's moving. So suddenly you're creating energy in a very efficient way. That reality is not true when you run. So when you start talking about running power, running power is susceptible more so to running form. And if you say form, you could start to talk about gait and, you know, how you run. And then running power, so therefore, there's more individuality in running power than cycling because you don't have the bike giving you the mechanical advantage of efficiency. And then two, the human, as we fatigue, right? When you fatigue on a bike, your efficiency really doesn't change all that much because you're still pedaling the same way. You're still in the same position. You're still moving down the road. And of course, they'll say, you know, he's tired. Look at him pedaling squares. But the reality is when you run and you fatigue, you have way more drop-off in power. (laughs) And learning to control your gait pace 
stride uh, to maintain a running efficiency is really important because the first thing a power meter is going to sh- tell you is how inefficient, how fatigue affects your efficiency over time. And it could surprise you. I've seen some pretty good runners learn a lot as they go to running with power and understand that drop off over time. So if you understand that as a background, it what WKL4 has done for runners is it allows you, particularly when you say runners and triathletes, a runner as part of that, is we understand the effect of factors like that, like fatigue. So you can measure fatigue in a lot of different ways with WKL4, simply as cumulative work. You can measure it as cardiac drift. You could measure it as aerobic efficiency. You pick whichever one works for you. But when you compare that, you see a significant difference in the efficiency of the the bike and the efficiency of the run. For runners as a whole, where I think the improvement is very cool, and I think you're going to see more of this coming out. There's going to be a couple of companies making some big announcements in the next probably uh, two to three months. Um, Since now we've learned what the data is originally or, or teaching us early here with all these running power meters is that this efficiency is a bigger factor and that fatigue is a bigger factor on efficiency. There's a lot more focus on not only using the power meter to measure performance and work and training, but actually as a uh, a more and more specific tool for measuring that efficiency and giving runners uh, not only a little bit of uh, an improved efficiency and improved gait and improved uh, fatigue kind of look through the software, but more and more devices are going to try to give you more real-time feedback in your running and do a better job of improving that real-time feedback. That circles all the way back around to my first point. If we know your running declines, as you fatigue, your efficiency goes down X. It's not all about the power in running, right? Those are, as a matter of fact, the efficiency is more important than power. So I'll, I'll close on this point. We did a, a study on a bunch of triathlon uh, at, at Kona, a bunch of people participating. And this you have to think about what I'm about to say. Eventually, we were measuring their running power and efficiency. And eventually, everybody's pace comes down to what they can do efficiently. And I'm talking about some top placers and beyond age. I'm at the professional level. So they might have started at a certain pace, but they quickly, and professional triathletes can do this so well, they settle into a pace that's right in tune with their run power efficiency because one, they're, they tend to be pretty darn efficient. And two, it's unsustainable. If you're pacing above that efficiency, your fatigue rate is higher than normal. So there's so much stuff. It's coming so fast at us and people are learning, um, you know, power meters for running and just hit the market. And there's all this stuff we're learning and learning very fast. But I would say the run efficiency, the relationship to power and fatigue and the gate relationship are the core of what people are focusing on. Absolutely. And I'll add to that, that that's one of the most beautiful things that you can do in WKO on the running part, at least I would say is looking at that running effectiveness curve, which is, we talked about that in uh, episode 59, I believe it was with Chris Haig on running with power, but running effectiveness being your watts per K or speed per watts per kg sorry and and you can you can try to find your effectiveness sweet spot as you say tim with just going out and run and trying different paces and see where your effectiveness is as, as at its highest and then another thing that you can do is to 
go out for a long run at a steady pace and and then see where that effectiveness starts to drop off and what happens then is is your power still steady but you're running less efficiently your form is breaking down or are you actually losing power itself so so those are a couple of things that you can do on on that side and as you say there's so much more to to uncover there but uh unfortunately we don't have have much time for that just um if we go into like a couple of features, like let, let's list out a few features and not go into any more detail, but just to tease a couple of the other really cool things that you can do with WKO that are not just cool, but actually useful. So so one thing that, that I can start with and, and then we can have the relevant links in the show notes without talking to them about this anymore on the, on the interview, but, but that can be a, a good introduction for people that, that want to find out more about WKO. So one thing that I would say is that the individualized training zones uh, is something that, uh, that can be useful for people. Yeah, and uh, can you add 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 a few others uh, other features like that that you think that uh, people would be interested in learning more about? Yeah, so I'll I'll give you a total of four that I think for this audience is really great. So we have the the power duration curve model that we've discussed. That power duration curve model allows us to you know individualize your training. It's the driving theme of WKO four because historically we've always based things off some general principles of training. And good solid ones, you know, original WKO, which was Cycling Peaks and WKO2 and WKO3 embraced those general principles because we didn't have a better answer. We didn't have the data we have now. We didn't have the ability to crunch numbers like we have now. WKO4 evolves and it moves off general principle and it goes into specific power duration relationships. So each athlete that has their data in WK4 is getting an individual look and an individual response. Um, you know, if you and I, right, went out and did, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sprinter. I'm a track rider or track racer. So my background is, you know, if we went out and did five times 30 seconds and or 10 times 30 second sprints, it's not that exhausting to me where it might be to you. We have different physiological response to exercise strain. The power duration model begins to unlock that because it allows me to see how I respond and then you can see how you respond. Then underneath that, yeah, my 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 phenotype in WKO is definitely the the time trialist, <laughs> and uh, that's what WKO has assigned me to, not a sprinter. Yeah, no, it's, and I would say a lot of triathletes fall in that that range. Um, underneath that power duration curve, we have what we call eye levels. So eye levels are training levels or training zones, right? Which are not just based off a percentage of threshold; it's based off points in that curve so it's totally individualized to you you know you go back to the example if you and i went and did sprints uh, i might be able to produce 800 watts for 30 seconds and you might only be able to produce 600 watts but the reality is you might have a higher threshold and i might have a lower threshold but if we're using the same percentage-based training one of us is not in the right zone. We're not doing the work that we should be doing, right? So eye levels moves away from the idea of things are a percentage based off functional threshold power or threshold, and it individualizes by the physiological event you're trying to improve. So if you're trying to improve your anaerobic side, there's specific targets for that. If you're trying to improve your aerobic performance, maximal aerobic or, or aerobic endurance, there's specific targets for that. Then underneath that, we have what's known as optimized intervals. Since we have this model and we have a whole bunch of historical data on the athlete that we can crunch, we can actually see mathematically we're looking at inflection points, which points, which 
work type of time and effort that you've put out historically has most impacted your fitness, your your power duration, most impacted the power duration curve itself, that fitness. So if you wanted to just look at what is the ultimate interval, how much power over how much time, if I wanted to improve my maximal aerobic performance, something I said before, maximal aerobic power, well, we can tell you that's exactly four minutes and 20 seconds, you know, at this power with a very tight range, because we have your model, we have your numbers pretty locked in. So those are three individualizations. That then bleeds to the performance manager chart. So with all this individualization, you can then track performance over time in a multi-sport or a single sport performance management chart. That allows you to use chronic training load and and acute training load and uh, training stress balance or what's most typically known as fitness, freshness, and uh, fatigue to understand how you're building, utilizing, you know, how much training load, how much fitness, and the relationship between overall training load, these individual metrics, and the individual targets. That model, once you can absorb that and and look at it as a, a total athlete, all the solutions to great training are right there because it's individualized. It's not generalized. It's about you, the athlete. You can track the physiological response to a specific dose, right? And then you can look at how that fits within the training load so you understand your fitness and and freshness relationship. All the magic happens within that. Yeah, perfect. And I'll also link on the show notes to an episode that I did on training peaks and using the performance management chart and and those uh, metrics that you mentioned so that listeners can go back and have a look at that. And we go very much in depth on, on how to use that to best effect. Now I want to wrap up this interview with a few rapid fire questions for you. And usually I send these in advance, but I forgot to do this for you. So it will be interesting. But uh, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or cycling? I got to say trading and racing with a power meter. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? I have been a long-term Pinarello fan uh, right now. I just sold my F8, got a new F10. <laughs> That's uh, my baby. <laughs> nice. And finally, what's a personal habit that uh, that's helped you as an athlete when you were competing? You know, for me, the best answer is re- posting goals, recording, and using the data itself as motivation, not just as tracking. Perfect. And... Uh, you, where, where can we find out more about you? You have a, you're a coach also for VelociousCyclingAdventures.com. Is that the best way to connect with you, or uh, do you have some other outlets? No, that's the best way. Uh, you know, I, I am the the Training Peaks Every Care for product manager, and my bio and stuff like that can be found on TrainingPeaks.com as far as my software side. But Training Peaks is not a coaching company; we're a software company. Um, for a coach, I coach with Velocious Cycling Adventures. We run. A, I'm a coach and and do uh, work with different professionals. I tend to focus on female professionals right now, and. Uh, trying to help that industry, uh, you know, they don't get a lot of breaks. So I'm trying to do some uh, good work there and bring a little more attention to female cycling. Um, and, you know, that is probably either one of those sites is the best way to find out some information about me. Yeah. And, and I saw that you have some training camps in, in my neck of the woods in, in Mallorca. So I'm in Lisbon right now. So so that's pretty close and uh, cool to see that you have those camps and different locations uh, than, than that as well, of course. Yeah, come on over. We'd love to have you. 
Yeah, yeah, it would be cool. <laughs> I was, I was very tempted. Uh, all right, so thank you, Tim. It's uh, been really great having you. Well, thank you for uh, allowing me to come on and talk about WKL4. And one thing that I should mention that we didn't mention in the interview is that uh, WKO4 comes with a free 14-day trial. So you can download it and uh, play with it and, and see what you find out. And then if you want to keep using it, you only need to pay after that. I can't remember off the top of my head what the cost is, but uh, it's a one-time fee. It's not a subscription program like like many others. So So that's good in my opinion. And uh, yeah, I've, as I said, I've been using WKO4 for some time now, and I'm very impressed by its capabilities, both for cycling and running. And that's definitely something that uh, I think that we'll see more and more about uh, WKO for implementing things related to running specifically in, in their platform. And I'm excited about that. The show notes for today's episode can be found on thattriathlonshow.com. Big shout out here to Andy from Melbourne, Australia, who pointed out that there is some issue with the www version of that domain because the domain is a redirect to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash podcast where I actually have the show notes. But if you skip the www and just type in thattriathlonshow.com, it should work. Or you can go directly to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash podcast. And I'm working on getting that sold as soon as possible. So all versions should work soon. On the next episode of That Triathlon Show, I talk to Stefan Guiene, who is a PhD in neurobiology. And he will discuss why we overeat, how the brain really makes us do eat more than we need, and how these are all impulses that can be counteracted in some ways when we know exactly why we eat like we eat. And it's a very fascinating topic. I've read Stefan's book, The Hungry Brain. So that is absolutely brilliant and fascinating. I'm really looking forward to talking to to Stefan. And uh, yeah, I hope you will join me in that episode. In the meantime, thank you as always for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.